as I said, we're going to be spending our um, communion time at the end, and we're going to have a, a little bit of a time at the end just to sort of uh, spend time in his presence if you would like, and come down front if you want, take your communion cup, and we are uh, have these individually wrapped ones, so it'll give you plenty of time to find the tabs and pull them and open them, right? <laughs> Those little plastic tabs. But... Um, What's nice about these, too, is I, I was saying before the service, is you could take these, you could put it in your pocket and go back to your seat. You could uh, sit it in the pew. You could worship the Lord with it in your hand. It doesn't spill. It's awesome. Amen. Um, I, I had something special on my heart this morning, and I'm going to share in a little different way. But before I do, I believe my mother had a testimony uh, of something good. So hallelujah. We like hearing those things. I don't know what it is. She just said she wanted to talk, and I had to say yes. <laughs> well, this is so good. You got to. Sh- sh- I have to share it with you, and you have to be thankful. But God is still working. A year and nine months ago, I sat at the piano, and I told you about twenty years I played the piano at Shepherd of the Valley, two places, and they called and said because of the virus, you cannot play. They won't allow us in. That was a year and nine months ago. Has the news, if you listen to it, gotten any better? They keep saying it's bad, it's bad, it's Tuesday, I got a call from the pastor, and she said, We're, tomorrow, they're letting us in. Can you play the piano for two, three services? I praise God for milk, because he's still on the phone. Don't pay any attention to the news. <laughs> And it, it was, it was uh, indoors, too, because for a while during the summer they were trying it outdoors, but it was actually indoors and everything. And uh, she said uh, a while back she was talking about how her fingers are getting, were getting really stiff. But after these couple things, she said, that, I have such a workout, my hands are feeling great now, too. So that's good. So hallelujah. Amen. 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 Um, <clears throat> I don't even know where I'm going to ask you to turn because what I did is I put the scriptures up there and I'm going to rifle through them so fast uh, that you might want to just jot them down and read about them later or something because it's going to be moving really, really, really fast. Uh, And last Sunday I shared, I believe, about kingdom preaching. And uh, today I want to share about kingdom rule, kingdom rule and what it means for us. And I think I'm, I'm hopefully going to give you a little different view of these last days, um, a little different insight into what we're doing. So for this to work, I'm going to ask you to do something, something that's hard for some of us to do. But I'm going to ask you to set aside everything you've learned about Bible prophecy and the last days. Don't forget it. You can still believe what you want, but just... Set it aside for now, okay? So shut your Hal Lindsey books, close your Schofield Bible, except if you're just reading the scripture, turn off your David Jeremiah tape just for a second, right? Just sort of set those things alive because uh, I firmly believe that whatever you think you know about the last days is probably wrong. I, I have been studying this, not to sound like a bloviator, but I've been studying this for over 40 years And I know less now than I ever have. As a matter of fact, I was reading uh, The City of God by Augustine. 
And Augustine, for those of you who don't know, was around 300 or so AD. And uh, he was one of the founding saints of the, of the church, I guess you'd say. And he was giving a little commentary on 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 is that really tricky passage, very confusing, where Paul says that uh, the day of the Lord will not come unless first uh, the abomination of desolation, and then he who letteth will let until he's taken out of the way, etc. One of the most confusing passages in Scripture partly because Paul is sharing in that passage some things that he already shared with the Thessalonians, but he didn't tell us what they were. And Augustine himself said, we are not able, even with pains, to understand what the apostle referred to, and his meaning is made still more obscure by what he adds. In other words, Augustine said, I have no idea what Paul is talking about, and the more he talks, the less I know. Now, you all are beautiful people. I love you. You are just the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I don't think anyone in here is smarter than Augustine. I don't think anyone in here reads fluent Greek and Latin and can translate the Vulgate into any language, etc., etc. So uh, the point of this is, and what I'm going to get into is, I believe we need to set aside all of our theories about raptures and antichrists and tribulations and all that kind of stuff and get back to the business of winning the world to Jesus and taking authority over spirit realms. Stop looking for the Antichrist and start looking for Jesus. Do you know how long some 94-year-olds and 89-year-olds in here have been told that the Antichrist is coming? From the Pope to Adolf Hitler to Mao Zedong. Da -da -da -da. So, I'm going to challenge some of you today, and some of you are going to get really mad at me, and that's okay. You can get really mad at me, and you could even ask for my resignation. That's fine. <laughs> I told him Wednesday night, I've been trying to, trying to get kicked out of here uh, for a long time, and everybody said, I know you've been trying, but it hasn't worked, has it? <clears throat> so, I, it's good. How many know it's good to look in a different direction every now and then? Because you might see something that you didn't see in another direction. So set aside all those things I, I, I did myself in sharing these thoughts. And I believe we're going to find out that God, and this is one of the main points of what I want to share today, that God has built us for dominion. He has built us for tearing down strongholds and setting captives free. He has created the church to be victorious. As a matter of fact, if you read it in Ephesians, Paul even says that by the church in the last days, God's going to proclaim to principalities and powers what is happening. So, the, the, the salvation that we have. So, the thrust of my thought then is to see how we sort of get there. And as I mentioned, I'm going to move fast. So, you have all the scriptures up there. You can read them. I'm just going to basically quote my way through them. Uh, you can read them if you want. So, please, 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 please make sure your tables are in their locked and upright position and your seat belts are securely fastened about your waist. Because <laughs> we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to start with Genesis, the third chapter. This is called the Protevangelium in, in theology. It's the first declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis, the third chapter, after the fall. You know it very well. Uh, this, is the, this is the beginning of God's declaration of what he's going to do. This is the beginning of the story of our victory over Satan, our victory over Satan. Uh, and God said, 
after the fall had occurred, he said to Eve and everybody there and to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Satan, and between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise his heel, but he will, and I like what one translation puts it, he will fatally crush your head. <laughs> I like that. No matter what Satan does, he's going to find out that his head is going to be totally, totally crushed. So right from the beginning, God declared war and victory at the same time. How do you do that? How do you declare war and victory at the same time? Could you imagine if we did that in World War II or any other war? We declare war right now on the, on the uh, empire of Japan, and we also are declaring victory right now. You, can, you don't do it because we can't do that, but God can do it. So he declared war and victory at the same time. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to do something in the new year on Psalm 110. What an incredible chapter that is, a messianic psalm about Jesus. So right from the beginning... God says, here's the way this is going to work. I'm going to destroy you, Satan, and my people are going to be victorious. That's the way it's going to work. Then you go down through scripture. You come to Daniel, the second chapter. There was a big vision that, the, that Nebuchadnezzar had received, and it was four kingdoms, and, and Daniel interpreted it for him. And he said, uh, there are four kingdoms that are coming. Yours is the first, O great king. It's Babylon. And then after, and it's nice when scripture interprets it for you, so you don't have to think about it. He said, the first one is Babylon, and the second one is Medo-Persia, and the third one is Greek, uh, Greece. And then finally, it was coming Rome. We know that what the fourth one is. It's Rome. And and, and he said, in the days of the final kings of Rome, he said, God's going to take a small stone cut without hands, that's Jesus, and he's going to hurl that stone at the statue, it's going to destroy the statue, and that small stone is going to grow and fill the whole earth. That's us. And he said, at that time, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will its sovereignty be left for another people. Oh boy, that's such a good line. Do you know that the sovereignty that you have in Christ right now is for nobody else but you, and nobody can take it from you? The power and the authority that you have right now in the word of God and in your spirit and in your heart belongs to nobody but you, and Satan can't touch it. And, the, and, and Daniel went on and said, but this kingdom will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms and it will stand forever. Hallelujah. That was Daniel 2. How about Daniel the 7th chapter? He goes on. Four beasts. This time the fourth beast was speaking pompous words of blasphemy until, and I love the way Daniel puts this, I love the way the Lord puts it, thrones were put into place and the ancient of days was seated. God is sitting on the throne right now. He's not wandering around confused. He's not running around like a chicken with his head cut off. He's sitting relaxed on the throne in total control. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and to him, Jesus, was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not ever be destroyed. That's us. 
Finally, in Revelation, the 11th chapter, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and a loud voice in heaven came, saying, The kingdoms of this world, they have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and we shall reign, he shall reign forever and ever. Let's make sure we get that grammar lesson correct. That's a grammar lesson we went over a while back, but I have to reiterate it. That phrase, have become, is the past present tense, for those of you who like grammar. That means actions that are started in the past, and continue to the present. In other words, the kingdoms of this world are in the process of becoming the kingdom of God, hallelujah, in these last days. Babylon fell and became part of the kingdom. Persia fell and became part of the kingdom. Greece fell, became part of the kingdom. Rome fell, became part of the kingdom. All the peoples in Rome that could accepted Christ and it became part of the kingdom. We are living in days of victory when all the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and we shall reign with him forever and ever. You say, well, how's it going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that someday I will stand in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and I'll be surrounded by people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. Oh, you used to be in Babylon. Yeah, but then it fell. You used to be in Greece, but then it fell. You used to be in Rome, but then it fell. You used to be in that kingdom, but then, oh, you used to be an American. Yeah, but then it fell too. Hallelujah. All of them will fall and become part of his kingdom. Now, one last verse in this particular context. And that is the most beautiful verse, probably in the, one of the most beautiful in the Old Testament. We're going to start quoting it again and again now in the next few weeks. Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verse 16. For unto us a son is given, and unto us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That has two meanings. That means, number one, that the government will try to bear down on him and destroy him. They tried to destroy him, but they didn't, did they? They didn't destroy him. But it also means that on his shoulder, and this is the way Oriental speech in the Old Testament was, on his shoulder will rest all the kingdoms of this earth. Interesting. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and we shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the decrease of his kingdom. What's the word? Of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And what's great about this is it doesn't depend on anything you can see, hear, touch, taste, or feel. Because the word says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Wow. So you say, what are you trying to say in this first part? I'm trying to emphasize very strongly that whatever your view is of the last days, whatever you think is going to be happening, if you think we're going to be put in concentration camps, if you think there's going to be guillotines cutting our heads off, that's fine, whatever. If you think, no, that's not going to happen, this is going to happen, that's fine. Always remember, you are in a kingdom that is growing stronger every day, and we are not dead yet. Matter of fact, I, I was watching just most wonderful testimony of, of the Muslim revivals that are happening around the world. Do you know why? Because Jesus is coming to them in dreams. Al Jazeera, they have a name for him now called MBBs, Muslim, uh, Muslim uh, I wrote it down somewhere. Did I write it down somewhere? I think I Muslim Muslim background believers. Al Jazeera doesn't know what to do. 
they're frustrated because they said that upwards of 6 million Muslims are coming to Christ every year. Because of dreams and visions. One missionary in, in one more free country that ministers to Muslims said all of a sudden these four or five imams showed up. And, they, and he said, well, can I help you? What's happening? And they said, we've come to study the Bible. And they said, why? He says, because all of us received dreams in our countries of this Messiah that came and told us all about this. And we've come to hear about what the Bible says. Do you know, do you know, do you know, some of you might have heard this, do you know that the conservative half of the, of the Supreme Court said that they are willing to, to overturn Roe versus Wade? Can you imagine what would happen? Uh, listen, you know what, I've told you all the time, <clears throat> I've told you all, do not watch the news. My mother said, don't watch the news, don't watch. But if Roe versus Wade is overturned, put the popcorn on. Get some Diet Coke and Pepsi. Sit on the sofa because you're going to be treated to about two weeks of the most hilarious TV you're ever going to see. Rachel Maddow's head is going to be popping off. CNN reporters, their brains are going to be splattering out. People are going to be right. Cities are going to be burning. Just eat your popcorn and watch it. It'd be hilarious. The point is this, whatever is happening out there, whatever you think, it doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is here, it is staying, it is growing stronger every day, and it's never going to end. Never. Here's the other good part about this thing. You say, well, how does this, what does this mean for me? I'm glad you asked. Here's what it means for me. The king of this kingdom is a God-man named Jesus. He is not an authority. He is not even the authority. He is authority itself. Period. He is it. The root word of authority is author, correct? So he is the author and the finisher. He's the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. Doesn't matter how many letters they assign to COVID. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And this king, after defeating all principalities and powers, divested his dominion and his rulership into you and me, the church. Now, some could say that was a stupid move. (laughs) But in his sovereignty, he divested the entire kingdom into us, his sheep, his children. And the wonderful thing about this authority that is in Jesus is that it has nothing to do with his condition. Jesus, before he came to earth, was the eternal God. Jesus, while on earth, as a baby, as a child, as a teenager, was eternal God. After his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension to the Father, he was and still is the eternal God. So he can give his power and authority whenever he wants. In Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 17 to 19, when he sent out the the, the 70, before he died, before he rose again from the grave, he sent them out and he said to them, they returned, as you recall, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That was before the cross. And he said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. My goodness. Whenever you think that Satan is winning the battle, remember, he has already fallen, and he fell fast, and he fell hard, and that was before the cross. So right now, he ain't got nothing. You are victorious. 
You always have been victorious. You will be victorious. You ever will be victorious. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. But what about after the cross? Matthew, the 28th chapter, you know it. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me. All authority. Not some, not most, not until the end of the age. You got about 80% of it now and 20% will happen when, when I come back. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then what does he say? Go stock up food. Go build a fallout shelter. Isolate. Hunker down. Be afraid because the COVID's coming. Be afraid because the government's doing this and that. What does he say? Go! Go and make disciples. Go into all the world. Teach, disciple, preach, baptize, do it all. Because lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, my friends, this is not the time to isolate. It's not the time to stop. Now's the time to start going. This is not a stopping time. This is a going time. This is not a dying time. This is a living time. This is not a hunkering down and worrying time. This is a time when we stand up and say, God, give us what we need and we're going to keep going. The wonderful thing about this is this authority that we have is present always. It has nothing to do with time or place or circumstances or money or illness or wealth. It has nothing to do with pandemics or economics or governments or societies or customs or anything. This authority transcends every part of the visible realm in which we live. So we don't have to run. We don't have to worry We don't have to fear. We don't have to listen to the stuff that's out there. We have all power and authority given to us by a God that never changes. Now, tray table's still up, right? Seatbelt's still fastened. I asked you before, earlier, to just sort of set aside some preconceptions. After church, you can go back to the preconceptions. That's fine. You can go back to your theories. Somebody asked me a while, they asked me all the time, so what do you believe? Are we going through the tribulation? Are we getting raptured out of the tribulation? Is the tribulation coming after? Is the millennium coming? I said, I am a pan-tribulationist and a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out. <laughs> and I know it'll pan out because I know who's in control of it. He knows. That's all that matters. Uh, we still only have one job, right? Go and make disciples. Didn't say go and make disciples. So I want want to go back a bit. And and, and the the crux of the matter for us is, and and I see this, I'm not talking about Emmanuel per se, I'm just talking about the entire church. I, I feel that the effectiveness or the realization of our authority in Jesus has been diminished by the pandemic and world events. It seems like much of the church is concentrating on darkness instead of light. Uh, It seems like the reception of the authority that we have in our lives has been tarnished, lessened, marginalized because of fear of illness, because of fraudulent elections, 
because theological theories about tribulations and antichrists, it seems like our authority has been sort of lessened. And that's fine. You could believe in all that. That's not the point. Always understand that above all of those things is the authority of our Lord and Savior. And nothing can touch our authority in Jesus. We, we, we have overwhelming power, such power. Our power and our authority has survived for 2,000 years and thrived for 2,000. You know there are more Christians now than there have ever been in the world. Do you know that right now the world is being swept with revival all around us? It's happening all around us. We're not, we're not retreating. It's growing. It's growing faster than many countries can even. Do you know that the growth rate of the church in Africa is higher than the birth rate? More people are getting born into the kingdom than are being born onto the earth. It's happening. And this overwhelming thriving of his church, antichrists, remember what John said. John said, there are many antichrists. There are many antichrists. Those antichrists tried to destroy the church, and they couldn't. The early Jews tried to kill the church, and they couldn't. Rome tried to kill the church, and they couldn't. Voltaire tried to kill the church, and he couldn't. Communism tried to kill the church, and it couldn't. Science tried to kill the church, and it couldn't. Fascism tried to kill the church. We are not dead yet, and they've kept trying for 2,000 years. <clears throat> so now, let me really, because I want to save time for us to spend some time in his presence. Let me really twist your brain now. Can I do that? You know, <clears throat> what's fun about this is, Everybody has an opinion about COVID, and everybody is right. Do you notice that? You can, make an, you can make an opinion about COVID, and you could back it up with 42 professors and 310,000 doctors. And then the very next person can say something exactly the opposite and quote the exact same people. So since everybody is talking crazy and kooky, I'm going to talk crazy and kooky too. How's that? Because like I say, I have the mic. <clears throat> I mentioned it last week. L let's go back into history here just for a moment. 1342 to 1357. It was called the Black Death, the bubonic plague. Interestingly enough, the Black Death came from China. It came from China on Genovese trading ships with the rats. It went directly to Italy. Does that sound familiar? <clears throat> went to Italy... And then from Italy, it spread, spread to Europe. Historians will say that 40 to upwards 50% of Europe died during the bubonic plague. I mean, that's one out of two. COVID ain't that bad. One out of two. I mean, just look around you. Either you or the person you look at has gone. 40 to 50%. Here's the thing. <clears throat> if you would go back in time and stand in London at the time, and say to somebody, you know what, I know it looks bad, but don't worry, because you know what's going to happen? In 50 years, in Florence, Italy, there's going to come a thing, an explosion in humanity called the Renaissance. 50 years. At that moment, Art is going to explode. Philosophy is going to explode. Music, architecture. They're going to build new castles and new, new churches with beautiful frescoes painted in those churches by guys named Da Vinci. There's going to be Copernicus and Ptolemy and Isaac Newton. And, and humanity is going to experience a total renovation. 
they would look at you like you're crazy. They would say, don't you see that half of the city's dead? 50 years. And then guess what? A hundred years after that comes the Reformation. When men like Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and Hess and Tyndale take the gospel of Jesus Christ to, a whole, to the whole world, when they take the Bible and translate it into known languages and begin the collapse of the Catholic Empire, that's all going to happen a hundred years after that. And then a hundred more years after that, you're going to see the birth of, of, what's, of, of, of the Baroque period with Bach and Handel and Vivaldi and Haydn writing the most beautiful religious worship music of their day. And then guess what? 350 years later, look at the moon. We're going to have guys walking on that thing. And you know what you're going to be able to do? You're going to be able to get in this big hollow silver thing with wings on it, and you're going to be able to fly, fly from, I know Da Vinci has a flapping thing. It doesn't work, but he's getting there. You're going to be able to fly from London to New York. Oh, wait a minute. You don't even know there is a New York because you still think the world is flat because Columbus didn't even go around the water yet, did he? You are not dead yet, humanity. You're just on the brink of one of the greatest moves of humanity that has ever been seen. So that brings us today. <clears throat> A disease came from China. It went to Italy. And it went to the world. <laughs> and now we are in the brink of despair. And I know, it's some, and people are dying from it. It is dangerous. Keep, keep um, Papa Hover is in the hospital. Keep him in prayer. It is dangerous. But just like every prophet in the Old Testament and the New Testament did not see the fulfillment of their prophecies, and just like Europe could not see the Renaissance and the Reformation, we do not know what lies ahead. We don't know. None of us know. None of us know. So what if... What if, after this is all over, after we're out of this mess, what if we discover that we're on the brink of a second human renaissance? I know some of you, go ahead, you look at me like, you're, like it's 1350. Go ahead. Because I'm right. I would have been right in 1350, wouldn't I? What if we're on the verge of new medical cures? What if we're on the verge of a new educational system? What if we're on the verge of new social structures? What if all of this suffering and political corruption and all this other stuff is giving way to a new beginning for humanity? What if things are happening that we don't understand or know and things are changing and moving and shaped right, being shaped right now by the God who's in control of everything, by the God who controls the only kingdom that's going to last forever? What if things are changing and we have no idea what he's doing? What if we're on the verge of a second reformation? What if we're on the verge of a Muslim Luther coming out, or a Calvin, or a Jewish Zwingli, or a Chinese Tyndale? What if we're on the verge of a hundred, no, a thousand Azusa streets in every country on earth with the Holy Ghost descending and changing all countries? What if we're on the verge of that? What if this reformation will lead to an explosion of new worship, Muslim worship songs, Chinese worship songs sweeping the continent? What if we're on the verge of a, an administration standing up someday along with sweeping revival that will destroy communist China. Just like Russia died, communism will die too. I know, I know, you're all looking at me like I had pizza last night. Too much. 
But my point is this, folks. We are not dead yet. And just like London in 1350, we don't know what's on the other side of this mess. But I know the author and finisher is on the other side. And he's bidding us to come over. So, you say, what's the point of all this? No more pessimism. No more fear. No more worry. No more wringing of hands. None of that, folks. Take those hands and just raise them to Jesus every day and say, Father God, I'm trusting in you right now. I'm looking to you and I'm putting my hand to the plow and I'm going to preach your gospel to everybody I can see and touch and taste and feel and I'm going to bring everybody. You know, you know uh, John Musgrave, many of you know him. And I'll quote him. He probably wouldn't appreciate it, but I'll quote him. We were talking a week or so ago on the phone, and he said, um, he said, you know, I just wonder sometimes if during this whole COVID mess, we in the church have not missed one of the greatest opportunities for evangelism. He said, we should have been the ones that as soon as somebody was detected with COVID, we should have been at their house and laying hands on them and praying for them. But instead, we all ran away and isolated. He said, I don't know, maybe I'm just stupid. I said, no, I think you're scriptural because the Bible says you're going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I don't know. I know it's quiet. I know you're digesting a lot of stuff. I know you're thinking. That's good. And as I say, believe what you want to believe. But above and beyond it all, when we partake of communion today, he says, you are celebrating. You're showing forth my death, burial, and resurrection till I come again. In other words, we're celebrating this kingdom that will never pass away. We're celebrating the kingdom that is getting stronger every day. No matter what happens, no matter who throws and hurls whatever they can at us, this kingdom is growing and growing and growing every day. And I'll tell you what, folks, I want to be part of the growth. (laughs) I want to be part of the light. So I hope I've not offended anybody. I hope I've not destroyed any of your theology. Yeah, I hope I destroyed your theology. My dad always used to say, theology, uh, uh, theological studies, uh, there's no ology in God and there's no theo in ology. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. Because none of us know where this thing is heading. All of us do know one thing. It's heading to victory in Jesus every moment. Let's bow our heads. Father, sometimes I thank you that you made these last days things so confusing that Augustine couldn't even understand it. I'm glad that that you had Peter write, that Paul's writings are confusing and can be twisted by some. They're hard to understand. But I do know one thing that's easy to understand. That the same God that said your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent is the same God that kept the church and the seed alive for 6,000 years. He's the same God that's going to bring victory and is continuing to bring victory into every one of our lives. And I don't have to worry about a thing. He's the same God that says, look at the lilies. He's the same God that says, look at the sparrows. Look at the little birds. He's the same God that says, take no thought for tomorrow. There's enough evil there and today. He says, but understand that I'll supply every need that you have and I'll be with you to the end of the age. I thank you for those promises. Help us in these last days to stand strong 
in you to stand strong in your kingdom, to not look to the left or to the right, but to stand strong in who you are, realizing that you're working a plan in the midst of our years that no one understands. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his people. All we know is it's victory. That's all. It's just victory. So I thank you for it, Father. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to go ahead and worship with one last song. As they begin to worship, feel free to come up, take your cup and your bread, return to your seats, and we'll partake together. If you want to stay down here at the altar and worship the Lord too, that's fine. You could take your communion anywhere you want with our portable cups and worship the Lord. So let's just stand together and worship his name. Hallelujah.